0: Welcome to the second half. I'm your host, Melanie Kenneman, and I'm excited to spend the next hour with you interviewing some of my favorite people in the world. Uh, You know, a lot of people put a lot of weight in the first half of any game, and what they don't realize, it's actually in the second half. The things that you do, the actions you take, the mindset you have that sets you up to win or fail at anything that you do or at any game. I'm so excited to feature Roya Johnson on this episode. This episode's a little different than our other ones, and her story is so incredible. Roya Johnson's been one of the very top uh, business owners of real estate here in Austin, Texas. Um, Amazing, incredible life story, what she overcame against all odds to be the person she is today. And I just love her story, and I hope it touches your heart. So enjoy this episode of the second half. I am so excited to feature Roya Johnson. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about her, but Roya, welcome to the show. Thank you, Melanie. This is amazing. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I get the chance to talk to you, it impresses me even more because you guys, there's just so much going on in the world and things like that. But the the story of perseverance and tenacity and never giving up and having the right mindset, you have been such a great example and really a pioneer in real estate. Uh, but I want to back up even before your real estate journey. I want to back up because I had you in the room with me when I was teaching career visioning with Wendy Papazan last week. And I was so glad to have you in that class. And, you know, career visioning is all about leverage. And, you know, yeah, it getting- was an amazing class, by the way. I'm so, was so honored to have you in there. Thank you for saying that. It, but it's about, you know, people get stuck and I think people don't know that it, they need people along the way if they want to have a bigger life, right? If they want their numbers to grow or whatever, like, and, and your story was so perfect. So there's a part of that that's the life story. And so uh, we had asked you to come to the front of the room and and, and share that. And it was so beautiful. And it really inspired me. I'm like, I have to have you. I said that in the room. I have to have you on the show because more people need to hear your stories. So Royal, let's just back it up and share where you were born, your background, and let's just go back like we started with the life story. I I just want the audience to to hear your story. Okay.
1: Well, I was born in a small uh, Turkish village in Northern part of Iran. My parents basically were farmer in a small uh, village with not more than hundred people. And my father was a farmer. I grew up as a little girl helping my father in the farm. That's all I did in the morning. I would get up they had five children at the time. They had 11 children, but um, um, six of them had died. So, and I was the middle child. So um, at the same time, there was a lot of stuff happening in the world. Um, The Russia was very interested four years earlier, Russia had gotten very interested in Iran about eight to eight years earlier, because of the oil, Iran had some of the largest uh, uh, reserves. So yeah. they were very interested in that part of the Iran and having access to the Gulf, Gulf in the South. So Russia invaded Iran and took um, Azerbaijan, and when they did that, uh, they had they uh, stationed in one of the cities uh, close to my village, which which was where my birth certificate actually is. Razvin uh, uh, it's called Razvin, mm-hmm. and so when that happened, it affected all the farms in Iran, uh, northern part of Iran, and my uh, my. Uh, Father and bunch of farmers went to fight because there was a huge fight there over Azerbaijan. No one wanted Russia to take Azerbaijan, so they got very involved. And so that coupled with the Shah wanting to nationalize the farms, um, basically um, handcuffed a lot of the farmers and they weren't able to produce crop to feed their children. Mm-hmm. So when I was about probably looking back seems like maybe six years old, six to seven. I'm not sure. That's one thing. When I go back to Iran, I'm going to verify uh, that um, my father came one night and said that um, we have to uh, do something, and I'm going to send three of you. You your sister and brother, these were the two oldest children. I was about six, my brother about 11, my sister about nine. I'm going to send you all. You're going to go to Tehran and work there and support us. And I was just, I didn't know what to think because you know, that was my world. And I used to, uh, sit down like a little girl and play with my friends. I had tons of friends, all family related. And so next thing I know, uh, this strange man comes in and uh, uh, with a the bus, there's a bus waiting for us. And um, um, I'm holding my mother's skirt and standing in her back and I didn't want to leave. I was crying and my mother was crying. Um, my uh, sister and brother were kind of, you know, I couldn't really, I was so tensely crying and upset that I didn't even pay attention if they were around me or where they were. I was only concerned about, oh, I'm going to lose my mother. And so anyway, um, they, got me in the bus finally. Um, uh, I remember my mother being so, so sad and crying.
0: So hard, yeah. So
1: hard. She was losing her three oldest children and they were, you know, children themselves. Yeah. And um, by the way, my mother was married when she was 14. So, and um, there was a lot of story between my father and her. And uh, so, and my father had adopted my mother's name Hmm. You know, so it was very interesting story about them. Oh, wow. But anyway, so I get in the bus. I never had smelled uh, gasoline or diesel, anything because we didn't have cars. We only had horses and donkeys and animals, and that's we didn't go anywhere. So I never had been any place. So anyway, I get in the bus, and my I remember sitting next to. Um, I remember exactly what part of the bus I was sitting. I remember exactly next where, which part, To make the long story, we made it to Tehran. And and this, uh, we ended up with that man's house who had come to get us. And um, I noticed my brother and sister were gone. You know, I think they placed them first. And then um, my father was having a hard time selling me because i was the youngest was he was like had to say look at the horse's mouth it's so beautiful she has good teeth family was very well off very educated they had two children four and five i think a little younger than me so i could take care of them i was almost like a playmate to them this family was well enough they had made they had uh, cook and all that stuff so i was like a kid's playmate and uh In matter of fact, the husband, when the first time in my life, I got a new shoes when he went to United States. um, He was a car dealer for, um, I believe, Ford. And when he went to United States, he brought me new shoes like he brought for his children. The first time I had a new shoes to wear, and they were very sweet. So I lived with them and then um, moved away. And the last family I ended up with, there was a lot of stories about sexual abuse and all kind of stuff that I'm not going to go through because yeah. you know, I really, I don't know how I survived all that stuff I have, but I did. Finally, I ended up uh, with a family that they were the wealthiest people in Tehran in terms of real estate. Ooh. They owned a lot of movie theaters, they owned a lot of retail stores, and I was hired to help their blind ch- uh, son who was 30 years old, and he uh, had problem with seeing, and so he, um, he would, um, I would, uh, you know, uh, carry, go with him everywhere he went, he, I was his eyes. Yeah. So we would go to uh, stores, check it out. He'll ask me and say, what do you think about store? Are they keeping it clean? We go to movie theater. He wanted me to tell him what the environment looked like and things like that. So I learned a lot from him. He was very smart. Even though blind, he was uh, very educated. I think he educated in Germany. I don't remember, I know he educated in Europe, but I wasn't sure where. And uh, so um, they had a chauffeur, the chauffeur would drive us to properties and then um, drop us and I'd be with him. And then I come up, he and I became very close friends. Um, He was, he really liked me and he would ask me and he would say, what do you like to do? You know, I would say, I like to get education. And uh, he would say, you know, you should go to school but unfortunately my parents are not going to support you because you have to help me, you know we'll see, and uh, all that stuff. So I was with them for two years. And uh, the reason I left, um, they, had a, they had a chauffeur, cook, head cook. They had several, mainly men, really. They had only one woman that worked there, but mainly men doing all gardening and all that stuff. I was, by then, about 15, very attractive, young girl, and um, these men were after me. Every time I turned, one of them wanted to blackmail me to have to a have relationship with me. So it was really becoming very hard. And um, when one of them told me one day that if you don't do something with me, I'm going to tell... The owners that you are having a sex with their son, which was not true. Oh, gosh. We were just good friends, and so he was an honorable man. He never would do that to me. Yeah. And anyway, so um, I went to him to him and told him what was going on. I said, "I want you help me with something. I'm now 15, and my parents have moved to Tehran, and they're renting a place. I want to not work." as a house help I want to go and work in the factory and go to school at night can you do that and he listened and he talked his parents letting me do that so he found me a job in you remember he owned a lot of properties so one of the factories that he owned um, owners agreed to hire me and as a A cosmetic factory. I don't know to remember the name. I'm going to check that when I go back. (laughs) Anyway, was the I would do those lipsticks. You know how smooth those lipsticks Uh are. I would put them over the flame all Uh day long, and oh wow! So they were they were beautiful colors, and I did nail polish and stuff like that. So anyway, I went. I um, um, worked there and went to night school. That's what
0: my question was. You hadn't been. Remember, I learned. Yeah, you had any been
1: schooling. schooling. I, uh, no schooling and I was 15 years old by then, probably 15 and a half. I remember being in their house when Kennedy was shot. So that's one of the things that I remember coming, kind of my timelines when it was, when what happened. And yeah. so, but anyway, uh, he helped me and I worked in that factory for about uh, almost eight months. And what happened, the owner of the school that I was going at night at, he was very educator. He was educated in Germany, was very sophisticated. He got very interested in me. And uh, uh, started talking with me at night when I took the bus to go to my parents' house, which they lived in a medium family. You know, there was a poor part of Tehran. And I would take the bus he would stop by the bus and talk with me and say, you know, look, hey, wh- why are you doing that? Why don't you go to school full time? You're very smart. You could do that. And I would say, No, I can't, because I have to support. I have to still give money to my parents. They're now have running something, and I have to do that, and I have to support myself. And so he would say, But I could help you. I could help you. I would say, Do you are you understand my Parents are very fundamentalist. They're not going to—they kill me if they thought I was even talking with you. Yeah. So don't, you know. And uh, he would. So what he did several times, he rode the bus with me, to just be with me, talk with me. He would sit next to, next, next seat, and just talk with me and try to convince me that I needed to do something. With my, this was not okay. So back and forth. Three months later. I had a girlfriend that I had made in the family and she was dating a guy, younger guy, and she was in her 30s and I was 15. We were friends and she was very sweet. Um, He also knew her a little bit. And so he said to me, why don't you and your girlfriend and her boyfriend come over to my house and um, uh, come to my house, let's talk about all this stuff. And I said, oh my God, are you, Crazy. I could be shot. I, you know, no, come on. So he convinced me. I went there. One of the things he did, he took a bunch of pictures. And those pictures are, I have copies of them, but they were the, um, what it changed my life actually. Because what happened, my brother got hold of those pictures, my older brother, and he wouldn't let me go to work anymore. He wanted me to stay home. So he told me that absolutely you're not going to go to war, and um, you're going to get married. They're going to find you and husband, and that's it. You know. And so I cried all night. And I mean, my life and their lives were totally different. I mean, I didn't even understand them. Didn't have the same mentality. I dressed like I do now. They dressed, you know, had chadors, and they they just were, you know, old fashioned. And I wasn't like that. I didn't relate to them at all. Yeah. And so they um, did that. So I cried. My mother was a very sweet woman. I cried and cried all day, and I said, "Please let me sneak out and go talk with that man." So she said, "I'm gonna, taking a risk. If your brother finds finds it, my brother used to beat me up, but he she." beat you to death you know and I said no I want to go do that and so anyway I got on the phone called my girlfriend found there, told her to make it right but with him his name was Reza with Reza I want to meet him and talk with him and they had made arrangements her her boyfriend and my um, friend old friend and I met in an office in her boyfriend's office and we sat down around the table and talked about what are the solutions. One solution was he said, "I could adopt you," <laughs> and I said, "Are you kidding me? <laughs> you think they're going to let me let you adopt me? I mean, that's yes. worse than you know being yeah. my girlfriend, you know." And uh, then we had all these ideas. So my girlfriend looked at me and and she said, "What about y'all getting married? If you get married." They don't have any control over you anymore. He has control over you. Why don't y'all get married? For, a, for a five minutes, probably, I was like, my whole dream of white savior with the white horse coming get, getting me went away. It was like, what is the reality? I couldn't have that. I have to do, find a solution now. And that he was a solution. and maybe that's what i needed to do get married and i thought about it for five minutes and i came up with a solution i said yeah marry you but here's the here's the requirement i'm i'm not going to stay married to you forever because i want to have babies i want to have family i want to be well off i want to have career so, if you help me, I marry you and give you my life for eight, six years till I get my education, whatever it takes. And then it's up to me if I stay married to you or not. If you agree to do all that, I'll marry you. I was only 15 and a half. Wow. And so I don't know how I had the wisdom to do that. But anyway, he did. He agreed. And we didn't sign anything in writing that's saying all that stuff. But he said, I'll do that. You know, I just want to help you. Let's wow. get married. So, the hardest part going and asking my family to marry him. It was uh, that's another story. I'm going to go there, we don't have time. But anyway, I commenced. My father was the one who made the decision. I went and stayed with my father, who was working at the car dealership. He was the guard. So, he didn't live in, at our house, lived at the guardhouse. So, I went and met him and convinced him. That's why my older brother was controlling, because he was the head of the house when my father was absent. So anyway, I went and convinced him that he make the decision. He and I were very close. My father and I in the village worked together, so he loved me more than any of his other children, I think but maybe not. <laughs> I think.
0: Well, at least you felt that way after everything else. Yeah.
1: I felt like he loved me more than anybody else, but anyway, he agreed and he said, but you, you realize that when you have your babies, your husband will be very, very old and he'd be, he be 20 years older than me. He's 20 years older than me. Do you realize that? Uh, I said, Yeah, it doesn't matter, I'm not marrying for his age, I'm just marrying because he could help me and don't worry about that, I'm going to handle that. Yeah. And so he agreed to do it and my father was the ultimate decision maker in terms of my life. And so next thing we got married and um, my life totally, totally, totally changed. It wasn't that I didn't have control anymore, total control of my life, he did. He was very nice man. He he had all my clothes custom made. My shoes were custom made. Uh, he had a lot of money. And he, his family was in Iran. He has his own story. He was educated in Germany. Was married a couple of times before. He His son was 30 years old. And um, he had only one son. Anyway, to make the long story short, he and I worked the program, agreed that he was going to help me to get education. So he hired teachers to come to the house every day for six years. And he wow. educated me so I could get my um, diploma. And every summer, one of the good things about all this stuff was he was really pretty well off and he was born in Istanbul. So every summer he would take me to Istanbul. We've, we traveled throughout the Europe. So I got to see the whole Europe with him every summer. We went to different um, different country, visited, learned and did all that stuff. And so I had life on my, you know, best life ever. And uh, he was very supportive. And um, so anyway, I ended up graduating and applying to, Three, four universities in the United States. I got accepted on three of the top universities in the United States. Amazing, amazing. And the one that I got uh, accepted was University of Texas, Berkeley, and uh, university one in Louisiana.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so
1: all these universities I got accepted, only reason I applied to those because I had heard about them. And right. I applied and I got accepted. Uh, the reason I ended up here in United States, in Austin, Texas, was because I had a girl that came, with, stayed with us, had graduated from UT and told us all about, uh, all about the University of Texas. And she was an honor student and she said, you will love the school, it's one of the best schools and you couldn't get better school than that.
0: You know, to hold on, hold on one second Royal. So you, okay. So let me just recap real quick. The first of all, I am so sorry that that happened to you in your childhood and you'll never get that back. And so I just, you didn't deserve that. I love you so much. And I love you more that you share that because I think this will help people that hear it um, about things that they go through to like, keep going because, and then you say the knight in shining armor, like this man though, that you married at 15, it was a game changer for you. Cause at that time, you could not read or write. And then six years later, you've graduated and you you have an opportunity to go to university in the United States. and right? And so it, it's such a turning point for you. That decision you made, that negotiation you made at 15 was incredible. And so okay, so then you get to so you move to UT. And you moved <laughs> to Austin. So <laughs> let's jump there because I want to get into like the how you got into real estate and stuff that. And the, thank you so much for sharing. So you come to UT. I, I love that. Then what happened in Austin?
1: So I, I came to Austin and um, I, I'll tell you the other stories later because it's really long what happened. And so but anyway, I came in and uh, I started with UT. Graduated in 1977 with the computer science degree. And I worked at Tricor, and I programmed F-14's navigation system for three, four years. And then I came back to university to do my graduate uh, degree, and I worked on that for a while. But meanwhile, we bought a house in Tarrytown on uh, Indian Trail. We bought a house
0: and you were divorced from your first husband right cuz you'd yeah, him. You did, met no i well, i met
1: uh, i forgot all about jerry i
0: met <laughs> Jer- Here's the man on the shining night in shining armor you just you just had he just had to be husband number 2 yeah, jerry and i that met
1: one. jerry and i met in 1973 and married in 1974 and when we i met him so i um went to um, Istanbul, met him in 1973, and told him that I had met this guy that I really liked and I wanted to um, possibly marry him. And his first question was, is he wealthy? And I said, no, he's really very poor. He's actually hippie. He said, what is that? I said, well, that means he doesn't have anything. And. And he was like, are you crazy? No, 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 you know, you have everything you want. You you don't want to destroy your life. I said, but remember, I told you, all I wanted you to do to help me get education and you did that. I don't want you to give me anything. I am going to start my life over. I don't need your money. I'm not going to take any. I just want you to let me do what I want. And um, I spent, Three weeks with him in Istanbul and his family wasn't happy about that but he one night told me I think it's time you need to do that I feel Uh, like you're grown up and you could do that so
0: what a a beautiful story relationship you had Yeah. yeah
1: so I wrote him a letter I had a professor at UT that he was head of the foreign student Um, write um, letter formally to him and um, the government because government had to agree in Iran when woman marries the man has total control you cannot get divorced unless your husband says yes so um, you know he he agreed he signed a divorce degree and sent it back to us the person in the um, uh, UT translated so then in 1974, Jerry and I got married, and that's another that's another yeah. love story. Oh, that, you know, there's also. your love
0: story right there. Yeah, and, I mean, yeah, long, long overdue, Roya. Long overdue yeah. for you to find the love of your life, who you're still together with today, and you yeah. have a beautiful family and children and grandchildren uh that you so deserve that and you two are one of the most love birdie couples that i see no matter what we do you two are there together and loving life and it's you're beautiful to watch and i i'm so happy you have that in your life
1: we are soulmates jerry and i are soulmates i did not marry jerry for his money i just we are soulmates
0: yeah
1: you but can anyway, make money <laughs> i think i i think all my life i had been chasing working for money and i wanted something that i knew i could make it myself yeah. So anyway, we bought the house in Terrytown, and I got very interested in real estate. I thought, oh my God, you know, look, at the price of. Uh, I had a lady; her name was. Um, uh, she was from Bourbon family, and uh, I uh, I asked her to come, and she was a realtor with a company. And I said, come and look at the um, our property. Tell us what's worth. Two years later, we had bought it for. Uh, 76,000 and the property had depreciated to 112,000 in two years. Wow! And so I thought, Oh my god, this is I mean, I'm only making 20,000 at UT with my benefits and everything. That's because computer- you were teaching
0: at UT, right? Because you're teaching, no, I
1: wasn't teaching, I was working at the competition center, the oh. computer center. I was uh, the computer
0: center, yeah, software, software
1: engineer. I maintained the computers. Yeah. But anyway, so um, we um, we decided maybe we need to sell that house and buy another house. But at the same time, I told my husband, Jerry, that, you know, look, I'm going to get my license. Uh, Bobi is telling me the real estate is good, but this is the lady, uh, Bo- uh, Bobby Bourmont. The Bourmont block in downtown is named after her family. But anyway... Oh, wow. So um, she's telling me this is a good thing to do. And she encouraged me to get my license. And so I did, I went and took the uh, classes and passed the test pretty quick. And so in 1983, I decided to quit UT and my pension and everything and go to work for a real estate company called Marsh and Box Company. Charles Marsh and Eden Box owned the company, Um, and I know in the interview, Eden Box had told everybody she didn't want to hire me. I didn't fit the model, and I wasn't the person that they needed to hire, but Charles and the other people had insisted that that's what we need. We need someone different, you know, this whole junior league... Ladies, we need someone that is not junior (laughs) So anyway, uh, that stayed with me because you know, one of the things, I've never said that, but I'm going to say this. I had more discrimination from women Mm -hmm. in Austin than ever had from men. Men were very nice to me. They supported me, but a lot of women did not do that. When Mm -hmm. I succeeded in real estate, a lot of
0: women put me down and -hmm. treated me like I was second citizen. I'm sorry to hear that. You know, what, what I love when you, when you shared that though is, is, you know, it, it's not okay. Right. Number one, it's not okay to discriminate against anybody. And, and, and I don't, I guess, I don't know what it is, but I love people with stories like yours, or if somebody comes from somewhere, I always want to hear more about it. But when you showed up and you were different, you're exactly, I mean, he spotted exactly the talent that he saw in you, right? Because you're one of the sharpest people. I mean, we skipped right over it, but your whole UT journey, you were like one of the first women to be interested in the whole computer scene. And you, you were very like ahead. And this is a person that started being educated that late teens, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. you just are so smart and you're, and so I love when you said that you showed up and, and you, what took you one year to get to number one in that office? (laughs) Yes, I was. uh, So in
1: 1984, I was the number one agent in Austin, actually, and number one in their seven offices. Wow, I did more business and I still have the plaque. Uh, I kept it. And so I was number one and um, they had an agent and he was very nice man. Um, and uh, he was ahead of his time. Yeah. And um, he lived in Terrytown. One of the things I noticed about Jerry Lee, he um, made a lot of money in real estate, but he did not own single property. He, le- he leased properties. Mm. So that was kind of like, I didn't understand that. So I always been interested in investing in real estate and bought houses. I've I've owned nine different homes in in Terrytown. And I've lived always in good locations in Terrytown, maybe because I learned from all these wealthy people that I lived in Iran with that real yeah. estate is very good thing. Yeah. And you should invest in it. And so mm-hmm. Anyway, so I, I um, went in 19, uh, it was 1975, we, um, 1985, we heard the noise of Marsh and Box going out of business because yeah. they had, Charles Marsh had bought all the properties from uh, 360 all the way to downtown where the Keller William offices are right now. He owned all that property that was really just greenbelt. Yeah, and he had this vision that he was going to have offices there converted to commercial. He was the one built the that um, condo project down there, Habitat. Mm. He built that, and so he he owned that, and he built all that stuff. So, unfortunately, the real estate had dropped to the point that the banks were after him to pay and convert those notes, and they couldn't. He couldn't make the payments. Yeah. So the company was by then Eden Box had sold to Charles Marsh and moved to Mexico. She had Mm -hmm. already gotten some money and moved to Mexico and so she wasn't involved and Charles did her best to stay alive but he couldn't. So he put his house on the market on 6th Street um, in Harlan in the corner their most beautiful house and he listed it with me and he was always wonderful with me and he told me that you you could sell that and I did. And I helped him sell that. I took over the office that they had on 6th Street, 1608 6th Street, the building that is right now, uh, Architects Building. Nice. I took over that. I took over his lease, bought all the furniture, bought um, everything that he wanted to sell. I had enough money by then, I could do that. I did all that, I took over. And he said he will help me to kind of transfer the license and everything. And he did. I recruited a lot of the agents. And then I tried to find four or five other people join with me because it was a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Really didn't want to do this. This was just.
0: Yeah. Here positive. you go. Okay. Yeah. Push pause real quick. So just real quick that you recapture that you you left your UT job, you got into real estate. You had some, you know, challenges at the beginning from attitudes from others. And then you you came in and you gave it your all. Uh, we skipped right over that you sold the first million dollar property in Austin as well.
1: I sold the first in 1983. <laughs> I sold the first million dollar house on Water's Edge.
0: That's amazing. It's amazing. And then and then so then you're number one in the office. There's multiple offices, the market shifting. The owner is like, you know, I, I have to, you know, I just can't anymore. And he comes to you and he says, "Will you take, you know, take our people and start something new. And you stepped up and said, yes.
1: Well, no, for a long time, I, I was just, it took me a week or so. I was just like, no, I'm doing great in real (laughs) estate. I'm going to go work for Amelia Bullock because she's taking some of your agents. I'm going to work for her. Right, And he said, Roya, you're the, you're the most smart, intelligent, you're doing great, you could do it. Why don't you just, I'm going to fold it, I'm going to pull yeah. the rug and you take the crumbs and run with it. Yeah. And I said, it, it, that was his, his exact words. You know, you could yeah. buy everything I have, take the office, take over my lease. It would help him too, you know, because I would take over all that stuff. And sure. so I said, um, I thought about it for a long time and I uh, called everyone. Emilia Bullock and Barbara Bullock heard that I was doing that and I might be opening an office. Next thing we were living in, uh, by then we were living in Pecos. She shows up in my um, office and in my uh, build in my house with the breakfast for me and everybody, wanting to see if I would join her company and become bring all these people with me. Yeah. And um, Emilia and Barbara were amazing. They were, they Mart, were smart. Smart
0: move on her part. Yeah. She came <laughs> over.
1: We sat down. I said, uh, I said, Emilia, but. I don't want to be northwest. I don't want to be in northwest office. I want to have central office because that's where I do business. And I said, uh, but Charles wanted me to do that, so I'm going to do that. I'm going to uh, do that. I talked with several people, and uh, and I talked with um, four agents, and they decided to join with me as owners. And they put little money, I put most of the money, I bought the furniture, I bought, I did the lease, I did all that stuff, they joined with me. By 1989, I had bought all of them out because they were all not doing, didn't like running the office. And so I just took over, moved the office from Sixth Street to Carillion, which is the building on Westover, on the chapel. We were, we were officing in the chapel.
0: Oh, how fun! <laughs> so we
1: had a huge office with all these people. We were um, between eight, 1988 to 1993. My company was number one company in Westlake and Central Austin. We did more business than anybody else.
0: That's amazing. And so yeah. I have the this, this 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 young girl who comes from <clears throat> you know Iran who is this you know. The whole world's ahead of her with a really, you had already at that point in your life had more challenges than than many people will have in a lifetime. And and you went on to build an, an office that was actually got to number one in the city of Austin.
1: That's we incredible. We were doing more. It was really funny because all the, all the listings and I remember the market, we, we started the down market. It was the most worst market in the United States. Yeah at that time so Mm -hmm. by 89 the market was coming back and so I decided the agents um, keep saying you know we need I would like the chapel but it would be nice if you had more parking and so I decided I wanted to buy a building and so I started looking and I found the building on 35th street and wanted to buy it and the agents were like we don't want to go that far that's like go too far. That's not central Austin. And I was just like, no, that's a good location. That's the one I could buy. <laughs> so I stayed after the owner of that building for six months back and forth. Mr. Mueller never would sell real estate. They always hold. They have a lot of real yeah. estate in Austin. But anyway, so I ended up buying that, renovating it. I totally renovated it in 1992 and moved the office there. And then I opened it office in West Bank Shopping Center where the Randall is I leased there about um, 2,500 square foot I had a big office there and then mm-hmm. I my third office was in Great Hills um, in uh, shopping center nice. I opened that there I had uh, I had the amazing office here's what I tell everyone I said that in the meeting we had other other day The biggest mistake I made in real estate is not
0: leverage
1: Mm. Gary is amazing in teaching us how to leverage how to hire talent to help you I didn't do that I had a lot of talented amazing agents they were great in what they were doing but I didn't have a talented management I was everything I was managing I was selling I was I was tech person, I was, you know, we had all the technology and everything, I we had everything, but I didn't have someone that I could fall back and say, you do this, because I'm, I'm, I'm tired, yeah. I, I'm exhausted, I cannot do it, yeah, and so something, um, another major thing happened in 1992, and that major thing just broke my back, I couldn't, I couldn't hold it together anymore, and so, in 1992, um, I went to all my agents um, and said that I want you all to interview and go to other companies because um, I'm getting to the point that I cannot run the offices. And there are too many people, too many things going on. And um, remember, in 1983, Keller William didn't exist. Yeah. Uh, they basically did form, I think, 86, and Gary had started doing, and they were recruiting some of my agents, but mainly the agents that I didn't really want, and they ended up with Keller William because Keller Williams didn't really have anything yet, you know. Right. They were up and
0: coming, yeah.
1: By 92, Keller William had figured it out. Yeah. They had figured, Gary had put a team together, he had figured out that, you know, that, in order to run offices, he needed to have several offices. He was starting to teach a lot of stuff and do a lot of stuff. And that was really great because all these agents, a lot of those agents with Keller Williams, but a lot of them went to uh, Emilia Bullock and uh, Eden Box office by then uh, Eden Box had opened Avenue 1. A lot of the agents went there and uh, Moreland had about four or five of them. So they went to different places, but I didn't even want to go to like Gary say, let me be a branch at your office. I was so exhausted. Can yeah. you imagine?
0: Oh yeah, you were burnt out. You were completely I was
1: out. out. I didn't want to have anything to do with real estate. Yeah, I wanted, so I took two years. That was about 19, by then it was 1999. Um, You know, by the time all this happened, it was 1999. I decided that um, I uh, wanted to take two years off and I totally took off, did not sell real estate thing and went to travel all over. I took the train because I wanted to think and took the train, went throughout the United States and went to see my son who was studying at Michigan University and things like that. And so I came back in 2003, I decided that I wanted to get back into real estate. I still want to do that. I had held my life license. I was, I had done a little bit of real estate, but not much. So in 2003, I uh, joined the Coldwell Banker and only reason I did that because I knew some people there. They were also part of the managers that run Coldwell Banker Where from Martian Box, Mm. and so they were. They knew me. The relationship, yeah, you had the relationship. relationship. So I went there, and it was a great office. I learned from them, but it was an office that was really not entrepreneurial, real, and um, you know they they had
0: certain way they wanted to do real estate, and I just felt like and Roy as an entrepreneur entrepreneur is your middle name as <laughs> as i hope our listeners are hearing you know yeah. like entrepreneurialism is if that's a word is your middle name right and so yeah, and
1: also they didn't expect, they didn't do cobalt banker did not do any central properties mm. they mainly did you know north and south and so west like they did some west Lake. so i um but the good part of it is Melanie, the real estate is very forgiving business. I come back in 2003 and I did over 15
0: million. Wow.
1: At that first year back.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible. That's incredible. And you have to think of the timeline too, because like that's so much real estate because at the time the average sales prices were much lower, right? Lower, so that, like four or five
1: hundred, you could buy. I mean, I sold a house on Gaston. That was one of my first sales when I went to them. A property on Gaston, I sold it for million three. That property is probably six million today, or oh, yeah. ten million today. Yeah, right. This beautiful one acre lot. Anyway, when I decided to kind of quit, reorganize, and have my own office. They didn't let you use your own signs or anything like that. And I wanted to have independence because I still had my office. Yeah. And so I decided, you know, I didn't have an interview with anybody. I just went to Keller Williams because they were the only ones doing all that. And I called Altia and I said, Altia, you've been trying to recruit me for 20 years. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I forgot that part. Oh, I love that so much. I'll have to send this to her.
1: I'm ready. I'm ready. She I remember in 1986, I think was she sitting in my office, taking me to lunch and telling me how I could leverage and bring all those people. Yeah. She told me all that stuff. I didn't listen. I you was just, just weren't like, ready.
0: Yeah, you, you weren't just, ready uh, to
1: hear it. <laughs> you know, I just didn't, you know, no, I was doing great. I, I have a little bit
0: of ego. <laughs> so that ego was like, don't, 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 you know. Yeah, yeah. So, oh. And, and, you've been, and you've been with KW ever since, and you're still with KW today, and I love that. And In 2007, I was uh, number one,
1: you could look at the records, number one top producer uh, individual at Keller Williams Southwest Office.
0: Ah, I love it. I 100% uh, can see that. And in 2011 in January is when I got to meet you. Yeah. So, uh, and you're one of the most lovely humans. I have so much respect for you. Even before I even knew your story, because to me, you're somebody that just, you have that perseverance and that tenacity. And it, it's, it, you're just, the more I learn of you, the more I, I the deeper my love for you goes. Um, one one question I ask everybody though, I, I would love to hear your answer on this is, you know, looking at your life, you are somebody that plays to win, right? I, weigh, I wear this wristband play to win and it says KWATX. Yeah, I have
1: one too, see? You have, you're wearing it. Yay. I love
0: that. So it's a mindset, right? Playing yeah. to win is a mindset mm-hmm. and you to me, and I have people on this show, in my opinion, who is You know, playing to win in life, whether it's whatever they're doing. You are that to me. Tell me, what is playing to win, though, in your words? I always love to ask my guests, what does playing to win mean to you? It means to me
1: that no one really can stop you, it's all in your mind. You decide what your life should be, no one else does. Yeah. It's all about you. No one, your husband, your, Manager, your uh, girlfriend—none of them have anything to do with what happens with your life. You take control of it, take control of that bull, and hold the horns and control it. And that's you, and you control it the way you want it.
0: Oh, when when you look back, that's beautiful. When you look back, and 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 I love that you're writing a book, and you're about to take a trip to go back to your birthplace, right, to get some of the data to yes, help free yes. the book, correct? Yes. Ugh, I can't. What, what's a target? When do you want to have that book written by? Do you think? Do you have a goal? Do you have a thought in mind? I
1: really like to do it within a uh, year and a half, probably. Okay. You know, I just have to take the time. I've written a lot of little pieces because when I get lonely and uh, alone, I sit down and write because those memories come back. And so I, I have a lot of pieces, but I have to put them together. and you know, languages have been really the toughest thing for me. Remember, I I didn't formally learn uh, Turkish. I just learned the mother language. I didn't learn Farsi formally because I just learned it by listening. And I did the same thing with English. Even though I went to university, I didn't learn the alphabet like everybody else would do. I was just learned it by ear and reading and and stuff like that fault I still have a lot of problems with English and um, the people wonder why they don't understand that I didn't have any schooling about Mm -hmm. learning I took some courses in English but they were advanced you know UT yeah Um, it wasn't like how you learn to spell how you learn to pronounce or all that stuff I've never learned all that
0: well, and you think about, <clears throat> excuse me, you think about in psychology, they tell you uh, when a child, when a baby goes straight to walking and they skip crawling, that mm-hmm. they actually go back and teach them how to crawl because it's the foundational pieces, right? You're so, so when you say that there's a lot of power in that, when you just skip to like learning how to get by and figure things out, but you don't really know the foundational pieces, there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of truth to that, right? And, you, and your whole life has been about, Getting to survive and then thrive, survive and then thrive, adapt, new situation, new language, new environment. What's the smartest thing I can do right now to move myself forward? That's and,
1: true. You know, one of, the, one of the, I told you a lot of men, I was really amazed how many men have helped me over the years. I think they see that how powerful or how confidence I have, and they like that in me. And I had a doctor, his name was Dr. Snow, and he bought several houses from me. But I used to send letters out to all over Austin. He would take my letters that I sent all over Austin and rewrite it and send it back to me and say, you you do it like this. He would say, he was trying to teach me. And it was amazing to me that he would take a doctor that was very famous in Austin I would do that. He would take the time and respell it and send it to me or
0: put different word and say, Roy, if you did that, I will help your English. Isn't that beautiful, but that's, that's helping That's lifting others and taking them with you. Right. That's, mm-hmm. that's it's not a critique. It's a, he's reaching out and helping and Hey, I think yes. this will really benefit you. Right. And yes, but does. all through your, your life, you, you've had little people like that. Cause you've had a lot of dark in your life. You've had a yeah. lot of pain in your life. Mm-hmm. And yet, <clears throat> like this first husband you had, I just see him as such a, a, a and you saw the opportunity in that friendship and, and how your life changed in that moment, because you found a way to make that work so that you could now really really live Roya's life instead of everyone else's. And I didn't know the piece that you are still supporting your family this whole time while you're trying to go to school. I mean, I, I have so much respect for you. What is a piece of advice before we wrap up? What is a piece of advice you would have for people that might not have this intuitive tenacity and strength that you have like Um, when, when, you know, life throws challenges at everybody, what advice would you give to somebody that's feeling challenged in something in their life? Because you've had a lot of challenges and you seem to always come out on top, my dear.
1: Um, I would say just believe in yourself, believe in yourself. There is, there is, you make all the decisions and it's up to you what happens and don't let Don't let anybody tell you you cannot do it, you can do it.
0: so amazing right like believe in yourself when when so much is against you and so many things are unclear how she just had that tenacity and that perseverance to keep going uh not learning to read or write until her late teens and then going to university and being one of the first women to do you know uh software programming and all the different things it's unbelievable what she's done she sold the first million dollar property in Austin the list goes on and on and it just shows you that whatever struggles you have There's always a way if you believe in yourself, though, because leadership really is an inside out job. So it starts with yourself and believing anything's possible. So see you in the next episode of the second half.